Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode 376 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. This week, the story comes from Cambridge. We talk a lot here about the difference between perception and reality, which can be amplified through social channels such as Facebook, where people generally show their best sides, their best lives. Some people, of course, appear to live a perfect life. But this is never true as we know, and what is actually happening between the four walls where people live can never be known for certain. Today we hear a story of love, loyalty, betrayal and violence. But first, let's set some context to the story with our guest of the month and year game. Top of the UK charts were the Arctic Monkeys with I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. In the US, it was Gold Digger from Kenya West. And in Australia, top of the album charts was Pete Murray with See the Sun. In the news this month, like me, you were no doubt on the edge of your seat, overcome by excitement at the end of yet another thrilling F1 championship won by Fernando Alonso. Or was I watching paint dry? I forget. Saddam Hussein went on trial in Baghdad for crimes against humanity. Bombings in Delhi killed more than 50 people. Actor and comedian Ronnie Barker died in Oxfordshire aged 76. The landmark Spinnaker Tower in Portsmouth opened. And in UK True Crime News, three suspects of the racially motivated murder of Glasgow teenager Chris Donald arrived in Scotland to face trial after a one-off extradition agreement negotiated with Pakistan. So did you guess the month and year? It was October 2005. Look, one week you've got to get it right, haven't you? Haven't you? Today's podcast is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide by simplifying selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your business. Shopify covers all your sales channels and even gets you selling across social media marketplaces like Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. Shopify gives you complete control of your business and your brand without learning those pesky new skills in coding or design. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is ready to support your success every step of the way. I remember a side hustle of mine a few years ago. It was so difficult to actually sell the products and get paid. A friend recommended Shopify and it completely transformed the business. It just made everything so easy to do, leave me to focus on actually building the company. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, it will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. It's time to get serious about selling and get Shopify today. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk slash truecrime or lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash truecrime to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.co.uk slash true crime. 
Today's story comes from Cambridge, a city about 50 miles north of London, with the most stupidly priced car parks in the whole of the Western world. Alethea Foster, known as Ali, was a lead clinical specialist at King's College Hospital NHS Trust between 1985 and 2004 when she worked within a multidisciplinary team in the Diabetic Foot Clinic. She was a top-class operator in her profession, winning numerous awards. As well as a practitioner, Ali was a prolific author. She published her original observations in numerous journals and books, one of which won the British Medical Association's 2004 Book of the Year Award. On her retirement, one of her colleagues said the following about her work. The value of Ali's work treating individual patients, educating healthcare professionals, and devising new techniques for the treatment of diabetic foot problems cannot be overestimated. Ali remains an inspiration to us in our care for people with diabetic foot disease. Now, when we joined the story in 2005, October 2005, Ali had retired from day-to-day work, although she was still an honorary consultant at King's College. She lived in Bromley in South London with her 58-year-old husband, retired BBC political journalist John Foster. But like many long marriages, everything wasn't perfect. They'd been together a long time, having married young in 1970, after meeting at Lancaster University where they were both students. The couple had two grown-up sons, and they both had enjoyed successful careers and an active social life, and were seen by friends and family as a very strong couple. But there were some problems in their marriage, and sex was one of them. In the early years of their marriage, the sex had been wonderful. But her husband stopped sleeping with her after telling her that he was impotent. And by 2005, they'd not had any sex at all for 17 years. Ali felt sorry for him, but he didn't seem so bothered by it, and he wouldn't discuss the problem with her or seek any treatment. But there was another problem, maybe not completely separate from the first, which was another woman much younger than Ali. Another BBC journalist that her husband John had worked with, Julie Simpson. Ali was concerned as she felt her husband became infatuated with Julie, and she even became a family friend, accompanying the family on holidays. And there were a couple of strange incidents around Julie. Ali once discovered a plaster cast in her husband's study. That's weird enough, right? But it turned out it was one worn by Julie following a knee injury. John Foster also arranged for mugs to be made when Julie left London to take up another BBC job in Birmingham. Ali was understandably a bit anxious as she felt her husband was becoming obsessive with Julie. But she still didn't think anything would have happened between them. Well, after all, he was impotent. But there were numerous arguments with Ali once telling him, there were just two things wrong with our marriage, your impotence and your obsession with Julie Simpson. Over the years, both had been concerned about their marriage and John had said to her just in February 2005 that he felt he had more in common with Julie than with her. Over the years, the couple discussed a number of ways to get their relationship back on track. John had once said, I suppose we could have a Jeffrey Archer type marriage, an open marriage. But this just isn't what Ali wanted. She just wanted John. 
But then in October 2005, Ali discovered that her husband and Julie were having an affair when she discovered a series of emails between them. She was absolutely devastated. After all, Julie had been a long-time friend of the family now. And although she had sometimes suspected her husband and Julie of having an affair, she put it to one side as deep down she didn't think her husband would ever do that to her. But when she spoke to John, she ranted at John, asked him what on earth he was doing. He wouldn't answer any of her questions. So Ali, she couldn't believe what was happening. And she felt she needed to have it out with Julie and find out exactly what was happening and what her plans were for the future. You can understand it, can't you? Because despite the lack of sex in the marriage, Ali thought it was a happy one and she'd always been a very loving and loyal wife. And now was the time she was 61, he was 58, when they were both retired that there'll be more time to spend together and enjoy this last period of their lives. But now with this news, all her plans seemed to disappear, all her hopes for the future, and she just didn't know how she could live without him. So she decided she would have it out with Julie at her room in Cambridge University, where she was studying as a mature student. Ali sent an email and Julie was open to a meeting, and so it was mid-afternoon October the 3rd when this meeting took place at Lucy Cavendish College in Cambridge. Before she left home, Ali took a kitchen knife from her drawers. If the meeting didn't go well, she planned to slash her own wrist in front of Julie so she could not just end her own life, but Julie could see that devastation that her betrayal had caused. It was fairly obviously an awkward meeting between the two women. Let's take up with Julie what happened next. She told how they were chatting quite cordially, but much to her surprise, Ali quoted Princess Diana's famous line saying, To quote the late lamented Princess of Wales, there are three of us in this marriage. And then much to Julie's shock and horror, Ali without warning climbed out of the chair, punched her in the stomach, then attacked her with a knife. She went down to the bag on the floor and then she was up out of the chair and she hit me, said Julie. It felt like a punch. She could see how Ali was smiling at the turn of events, saying, she just looked very pleased for herself. Everything was gleeful, really. Julie managed to stumble out of the corridor in a state of shock where she was able to call for help. She said, I was quite tired and I couldn't breathe very well and I thought I was probably going to die in the corridor. A student at the college saw Ali standing over Julie in this corridor and said it was like a cat playing with a mouse, thrusting. Julie was indeed fortunate to survive the attack, which was a frenzied one where she was stabbed 17 times. She was rushed to Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge, where she underwent surgery. The worst injuries Julie suffered were a punctured lung, and she was also permanently blinded in one eye. Ali Foster was arrested at the scene of the stabbing. Ali was very open about the events of the day in police interviews. She told officers that the intention when she visited Julie was not to hurt her but to kill herself. She said, I wanted to die. I wanted to know the truth and I wanted to die. I just couldn't imagine going on living. I was going to cut my wrists and my jugular vein. Ali said she couldn't recall the attack itself, although she admitted she was responsible, saying the last thing she could remember was Julie Simpson laughing as she said to her, 
you've got such a good marriage. Everyone says how good a marriage the Fosters have. And I remember thinking, how can you be saying that to me? You are sleeping with my husband and you are telling me what a good marriage I have? From here, Ali asked other questions which Judy didn't answer. Ali then continued by saying, then there was another long pause and then she started talking and she started laughing. She laughed and she said, well, I suppose I should not have laughed, but did it occur to you that John might have another woman? Because all I do with him is drink gin and tonic and do the daily telegraph crossword. Ali said, I can remember this great wave of disgust and irritation and thinking, what am I doing here? Why am I here? No one will tell me anything. And that's the last thing I remember. This laughter and this great wave of distress and irritation. The next thing she could remember was being outside the room with a knife in her hand and Julie lying nearby. I could see blood everywhere on her and on me, she told detectives. When Julie was interviewed, she spoke obviously about the shock of the attack and also how Ali had said there were three people in her marriage. She thought her role in John's life had been minimal. I didn't feel like a third of a marriage, she said. I thought that was a gross overstatement. I hardly saw the man. She asked me if I loved him and I said yes, but it doesn't matter. I can walk away. I was struck with the absurdity of discussing a man with whom neither of us was having sex. I was embarrassed. When she was sticking the knife in me, she was gleeful. When I was holding onto her arm, I knew she was waiting for me to die. She was content and satisfied. Judy said she'd urged John Foster to lie to his wife about their affair. I didn't think that his wife should know that he loved another woman. I never thought that. I thought it would be devastating to her. At her trial, Ali Foster entered no plea to the charge of causing grievous bodily harm. Jurors were offered the charge as an alternative to the charge of attempted murder and also causing grievous bodily harm of intent, both of which Foster had denied. In court, the prosecuting QC noted that Ali had told detectives she had not set out to kill or harm Julie Simpson, but he said her actions and diary entries suggested she had intended to kill Julie after meeting her at the college. He said, It's plain from the diary entries that she sounds betrayed, humiliated and angry. We say Alethea Foster plainly meant to kill Julie Simpson in what was a jealous rage against her husband's lover. At the trial itself, Ali confirmed that she only knew for sure her husband was having an affair with Julie when she discovered those emails from Julie on her husband's computer. The QC for the defence read to the court an email that Chris had written to Julie. It was such a dramatic moment in the trial. As Ali stopped, she turned to stare at her husband, who was sitting in the public gallery. She was asked what she was thinking as she stared at her husband. Horror, distress, disbelief and anger with him. Disbelief that all these years he'd been pretending to be impotent, and yet he was sleeping with her. That he was apologising to her for lying to me, that he hadn't had sex with her. I just thought that beggared belief, apologising to her for not loving his wife. I stayed with him in a sexless marriage, which was so terrible for me because I loved him and I was loyal to him and I didn't believe that my John was a liar. 
She said the affair had broken her heart. At the conclusion of the trial, 61-year-old Addie Foster was cleared of attempting to murder Judy Simpson, but found guilty of causing her grievous bodily harm. She calmly whispered thank you as she was jailed for three and a half years. The judge told her, in your normal frame of mind, you wouldn't have been able to cause any harm to another human being. Speaking after the trial, Judy Simpson said, I would like to thank the paramedics and medical teams whose skills and expertise saved my life. I would like to thank everyone else that came to my aid that day. I now look forward to getting on with my life and I hope resuming my studies. As for John Foster, he said after the hearing, The events of the 3rd of October have had a devastating effect not just on the two women involved, but on all of us who have been caught up in the aftermath. I still find it almost impossible to believe that the kind, loving and gentle woman with whom I have lived for the best part of 40 years could be capable of doing such a thing. This private tragedy has been played out in public and I'm grateful to the many friends and all the members of both my wife and my own family who have given me their support, particularly of course to my sons Julian and William. The bail conditions have prevented me from seeing or speaking to my wife for almost six months. It's right I should talk to her privately before making any decisions about the future. Alethea Foster died on the 2nd of January 2011. So what do you make of what we've heard today? As I said at the start of this podcast, you never know the reality, do you, of what's happening inside a relationship? Did you see the story this week of the perfect Instagram influencers who shared their seemingly amazing relationship online until this last week when she was terribly, tragically killed and the partner hasn't been charged or anything but arrested on suspicion of murder? You just never know, do you? And for this couple today, on the surface, everything was going for them. And yet Ali resented the sexless marriage and suspected he was having an affair with a woman 17 years her junior. When this was confirmed, her whole life fell apart. I get it, don't you? But to then confront the other woman with a knife. Do you think the aim was to take her own life as she claimed? Or do you think she took the knife to attack the woman she saw as her love rival? We will never know for certain. Do you have any sympathy at all for Ali? And what about her husband? How must it have been for him in the days and weeks after the attack and then sitting through the trial? But of course we must remember that it's only Ali that attacked anyone, but her husband too must have been mortified and surely felt guilty for the long affair. I wonder what happened after the court case but unfortunately I've not been able to find out whether the couple remained together from when Ali got out of prison to her death. Of course the real victim here is Judy Simpson. Some of you may well make moral judgments, I understand that, about having an affair with a married man, especially when you're a friend of the family. It's quite hard to comprehend. But she certainly didn't deserve such severe injuries, did she? I imagine she couldn't for a second have imagined that any violence would have taken place when she invited this respected 61-year-old professional, Ali, who she'd known for years, to her room at Cambridge. All round, I think it's fair to say there are no winners from this story. It's just terribly sad, once more, how so many lives were affected by this violence. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. 
To discuss this story and any other aspects of UK true crime, please head to Facebook and join over 92 of us, 92? <laughs> well, 92, but 92,000 who talk UK true crime 24-7. And to support the show, you know you want to. Please do head to patreon.com slash UK true crime for bonus episodes and other exclusive content. A huge thank you to the latest members of this community. That's James Roper, Mark Sheehan, and Mistopheles XX. Your support is so much appreciated. The full-length bonus episode is just out about a gangland murder in Manchester, so join today for under £2 a month. Cancel at any time. That's patreon.com slash UK true crime. Alright, so that's all for me, the host of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast, and still aspiring to the dizzy heights of 36 for another week. So until Tuesday, please do take it easy, and remember, despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.